What's the difference between a miniatures game and a board game with miniature figures in it? My name's Jonathan, and this is the Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about board games as they'd like to know. This week, we're going to get into a teeny little topic that's just a teeny bit controversial, but only for the people closest to it. We're talking about miniatures games. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast. With me this week are my miniature friends David Kingsmill. Hello. And Scott Moyle. Sorry, I wasn't I was painting a little plastic orc. I wasn't paying attention to you. So, uh <clears throat> let's start right in. Do you play miniatures games? Oh, do I? <laughs> Which ones? <laughs> uh from from picking up the second edition of Warhammer 40,000 when I was 12 or 13, and that got me into gaming in a lot of ways, to uh currently being uh super into a game called Dead Zone by a British company called Mantic Games. Um, I, I love games with toy soldiers in them and painting miniatures is the thing I do with what little spare time I have. <laughs> David? Uh, yeah, same. I, I'm not much of a miniatures gamer, but I certainly have done, uh, for a long time. Uh, my gaming in England, uh, because of the sort of less prevalence of the hobby was Monopoly and Life and Warhammer 40,000. Uh, and that was so prob- both 40k players yeah that was my big well actually i played fantasy as well uh i just i collected whatever i liked and thought looked pretty um but i am also now getting into the dead zone thing because of just the group that we have at the cafe who i play with uh and that i feel i like that uh smaller scale game rather than the big war games like so instead of like giant games. armies you've got like little skirmish type yeah if i can have 10 people like necromunda back in the day was one right. of my favorite games which games gang Workshop. versus gang and sort of uh, urban hellhole yeah yes. and games workshop discontinued that and are now making rumblings about possibly bringing it back again but dead zone basically fills the same niche and it's like if i can paint 10 guys or have 10 guys and that makes my gang i'm fine because i just don't want a hobby that costs me money same reason i don't play magic the gathering anymore okay so what's the did, did you paint the figures as well i used to uh, mm-hmm. i am much less into the painting now i thoroughly enjoy uh throwing together the miniatures now and then but i have to admit i'm much more nowadays about the logistics of building the army uh in terms of deciding what's in it rather than the miniatures themselves i admire them when they're completed but i've gone off the craft part of that hobby so the appeal of these miniatures games lies in the physicality of the pieces, painting them yourself. It lies in the uh, the craft of putting together a group of soldiers that are going to be effective. What, what, what else is appealing? What draws people in to miniatures games? Well, good visuals help a game tell its story, right? That that train in Colt Express, the game we talk about nonstop on the Snakes cast now, <laughs> is a big part of, is one of the big parts of the appeal. And, uh, or the... I don't know, all the crazy miniatures in Kemet and those chunky pyramids that feel super satisfying. <laughs> um, I, uh, I think great miniatures help a game tell a story, and well-painted miniatures help that game tell that story with even more personality and even more immersion in life. Mm. I think also there's a thing that it, it pieces make a game very satisfying. One of my big selling points whenever I'm trying to put Splendor on a table is I will throw a few chips on the table and one, they clunk very satisfying. Those big weighted yeah. poker and chips. A, yeah, and someone picks them up and I make my little quip about I would replace an entire poker set with these guys and people are nodding at the table mm-hmm. uh, and absolutely agreeing. And I mean, that's, that's much more on the Euro side of things and most miniatures games lean towards uh, something very, very thematic. Uh, but I feel like what they're doing is they're taking the quality of that heavy poker chip and making it something with personality. Let's actually get some definitions down here. Now, what is the difference between a miniatures game proper 
and a board game that has miniature figures in it. I mean, Monopoly and Risk and Clue and the Game of Life all have little molded pieces of plastic or metal models in them that are objects or people in miniature, but we don't think of those as miniatures games. Why not? I think part of the definition for me is when I move this piece across the board, am I marching my soldier forward or am I claiming this room to do this thing because i feel like with a board game the miniature is much more of an avatar and you you might be using it to go over there and do that thing whereas in a miniatures game or uh, or a miniatures war game and there's another definition um i am marching my soldier forward and the terrain he's marching on isn't important and terrain is an important part of it too, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah, but I mean, even if you're just going across a table, if I'm if I'm going from this point of the table six inches forward, the table has no influence. Whereas if I'm walking into the next room, like I might be in Mansions of Madness, and once I'm there, I'm searching that room for a thing, the miniature's merely an avatar of my manipulation, and I feel like that's where the board game takes over. And this again uh, speaks to the physicality of miniatures games. Like you don't move a certain number of spaces on a board. It's not even a board. It's it's, it's an well, open piece of terrain. You move this many inches. Depends on the game, but mm-hmm. a lot of them make you uh, break out a, a tape measure. I think a big piece of it, um, a miniatures uh, game depends on its three dimensionality. You mentioned terrain. Mm. Um, line of sight is a concept that shows up in a lot of miniature, in basically every miniatures game where uh, a board game can do line of sight by saying if the center of my square can can straight line to the center of your square or the corner to corner, whatever. Different games handle line of sight in different ways. But in a miniature game, it is almost always bend down like a giant nerd over the table, <laughs> get a model's eye view, and figure out if that physical piece of plastic can see the other physical piece of plastic four feet away down the table. That is literally what you do. Some people use uh, laser pointers, <laughs> and balance them on the miniature's shoulder and then see if they can light up a target. Um, some people make little periscopes um, <laughs> so that they can get a model's eye view in a periscopes. very different way. Little, little periscopes um, to replace bending down over the table with... Oh, I see. So you, you look down instead of looking up. Yes, exactly. Right. So it's, I, I can have my eye like almost touching the table even though my head is exactly. like a couple feet above it. And when all your little you know, three-inch tall... Um, orcs are armed with spears and things you may not want to get your eyeball that close to it the periscope is an important safety tool (laughs) so you mentioned soldiers a few times uh is there such a thing as a miniatures game that is not about shooting things or slicing things or otherwise making things not live i've never played a co-op miniatures game have i I'm trying to think that through now, and I'm struggling to think of anything. So are all miniatures games war games? Ah, that's a difficult thing. Uh, but, I mean, we know not all war games are miniatures games. I mean, war games, if we're going to get all pedantic about it, those are like right. con- conflict simulations. They're historical simulations. Advanced of... squad leader uses little squares and rectangles. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, or uh, Sekigahara will use blocks. But then um, I think the question comes down much more to something like, it, to use my aforementioned example, is Mansions of Madness a war game? A war game? Yeah. If anything, um, it's a role-playing it's now, game. Yeah, exactly. Now, that's Seems a board game. If there isn't a war going on in Mansions of Madness, I would have to say no. Right. Now, there's a board game with miniatures, and I perhaps mm. there's maybe that's where there's a corollary between the descriptions. Maybe a board game with miniatures is less about being a war game, and a miniatures game is more so. Uh, but I certainly think the board game with miniatures... 
no, it does not have to be a war game. I, that's that's a role-playing detective game for sure. me for the most part. And every now and then a maniac comes at you with an axe. <laughs> but that doesn't make it a war game. That sure. means a game with combat. Exactly. Which so is not the same thing. A board game with miniatures in it isn't necessarily a war game. But a miniatures game hmm. is a war game. It might be uh, like army versus army. It might be skirmish between uh, small group versus small group. Might be pushing X-wings and Tie Fighters around. Yes, it could be naval. There are naval miniatures games there and are space miniatures space games and air games, air Wings combat of war, games. All of that. There's even that. Uh, there's the new submarine thing that we've got at the cafe, isn't they it? Which unseen, I haven't cracked right, open. Yeah. They come unseen, but that's got that's a naval war game. I, I suppose the closest might even be the Contagion expansion for Dead Zone, uh, which is a. There's a solo campaign in that, which but is, but it's still a war game. A war game and so it uses a deck of cards to automate the zombies. You're just thinking of what's cooperative, and in that sense, you're playing against the game. But it's still a war game. Yeah, I think in in the bajillions of miniatures games I've at least dipped my toe into, I I don't think I can I can't think of a single one that isn't a conflict simulator. Mm-hmm. Sure. Agree. And, uh, and 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 again, it seems like the main difference is: are you free to move? Uh, uh, within this, within the bounds of this space, or do you have to move within specific increments, space to space to space? Well, that's okay, where we, we have to talk about Dead Zone now. <laughs> okay. We do have to talk about Dead Zone now because that breaks the mold. Uh, that's both all at once. It's a board game with miniatures and it's a miniatures game. Uh, and yes, it works in spaces, and yes, it works with line of sight periscopes. Yeah, you you play it on an eight by eight square grid. The the squares being about like three a chessboard, like, like a big chessboard. Um, this the, thing's the squares like two are feet three across. inches to an inch, and uh, and the terrain is also built to a three inch square standard. They're modular buildings that are all based on three inch squares, so they're in fact three inch cubes. And your your play space is a three dimensional thing comprised of of cubes. Um, that are footprinted out on the board for you. When you take a move action with a soldier, it can reposition within the cube it's in, or it can move to any adjacent cube, up or down, if it, as well as it, if it has ladders and places to stand on. Um, the, uh, the idea, though, is that line of sight is miniature to miniature, mm. right? So where you are in the cube matters, but what cube you're in matters. It's the only war game I've ever run into that doesn't make you take out a tape measure, or a specialized measuring doodad of some device like mm-hmm. the Star Wars Armada thing. Right. That spectacularly <laughs> weird measuring tool. Um, you're just moving cube to cube, and weapons range is counted in number of cubes, and they they never make you measure a thing. The, the big advantage of that, apart from it's a lot less fiddly, is that it handles covering fire in a way that I've never seen any other war game do. You can target a miniature, or if you can't see a miniature, you can cu- uh, target the cube it's in, Spray that with bullets if your aim's okay, and uh, and it'll have a suppressing fire effect. Um, with covering fire being a particularly weird thing to elegantly handle in a war game, Dead Zone mm-hmm. really uses that hybrid of board game and war game to both get around movement being a pain and and handle handle cover fire very innovatively. I feel like this is one of those games that's going to come out there, and if it keeps growing, and with the Warpath Kickstarter, Warpath being their giant army game version. Uh, with that coming on, it feels like their movement is growing, and I suppose to a certain extent that might depend on what Games Workshop's plans are. But the result could actually end up being an interesting entryway for gamers of either the miniatures or board game type into Mm. the alternative scenario, because there are so many elements that are familiar to me as someone who's played both, and I'm sure even more so to you as a much more current miniatures gamer. 
that are there from both disciplines. Um, and it is, it's a fantastic, it's interesting. It, it, the first time I played it, I got Enemy at the Gate stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that wonderful sniper movie, which I find the intrigue of snipers to be fascinating. Um, and that sense of, I can't move because there's a guy aiming at my head. But if I don't move, he's just going to fill my, fill my cube full of bullets. And my guy's going to end up being pinned down by way to fire and can't move anyway. This sounds <laughs> fascinating. I mean, my impression of war games, has, and, and particularly of miniatures games, has always been, I've always been a little bit put off by it because of the ambiguity of these things, because of the fact that you can have arguments over, can I move this far, can I not move this far, can I see this thing, can I not see this thing. Mm -hmm. There is some fuzziness there, and it seems like that's kind of an artifact of its earliest days. I mean, the genre was invented by H.G. Wells in 1913, Little Wars, Uh, and it feels like a lot of the the enjoyment and the love that people get out of this arises from that tradition, from the fact that it goes back so far. And, um, and there's, there's a reluctance to move on, it seems, in design to use more modern developments like what we see in Euro games and modern Ameritrash games. Uh, that, that, but this, this, this game you're describing here sounds really exciting in that it is really moving the form forward. Mm-hmm. It, is, it, it absolutely is. It's worth noting that I think Little Wars came out of H.G. Wells and a couple of his buddies seeing their kids play with little lead soldier miniatures and little spring-loaded toy cannons uh, in the same way that we probably all played with some version of, of action figures as kids. And you get into those, I hit you, no, I didn't, no, you didn't, yes, I did. Right. Well, the next step is what can we do to figure out who hit what? How can we adjudicate? Right? Which, is why, uh, which is why Little Wars engages with the idea of when you are shooting, you fire a spring-loaded toy cannon and <laughs> anything that is knocked over got killed by that thing. So it discourages tightly packed formations because they fall like dominoes when you hit them with a little lead ball. The um, but it's it's an attempt to codify the loosiest, goosiest version of miniature wargaming ever, pushing Ninja Turtles around a table saying, "I hit you, no, you didn't." So I think it's it's still growing out of that loosey goosiness and that that fuzziness, and that that is an artifact of that. But that's okay. Maybe that's okay. There's kind of a beauty to it. There's We're still there's there's, with there's, toys, there's, there's, right? a, there's a childlike <laughs> fun in playing with toys yeah. and not necessarily having a perfect tournament quality set of rules to perfectly adjudicate these. But things. it also like one of the things you were saying about the fuzziness of movement and um, uh, determination goes away because do you move those guys all forward exactly six inches or is that guy under that grenade template? Well, in Dead Zone, are they in the adjacent cube? Then they got at least knocked off their feet. Mm-hmm. Are they in the cube? Then they got blowed up. Blowed up. <laughs> so one of the other things that tends to put people off these games is having to paint the miniatures figures because in most cases they you buy them they're unpainted. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure one of the biggest reasons why X-wing and uh, X-wing Armada have become such huge hits for Fantasy Flight is because those beautiful ships come pre-painted. Oh, they look so good right out of the box. Right, really, really nice. Uh, just how much of an undertaking is it for somebody, if they're interested in getting into Warzone or what have you, um, to, to actually get to the point where they have painted figures? How, how, how much warning do you need to give them about how much of their life this is going to eat up? <laughs> to, to borrow a phrase that I got from David, how long is a piece of string? Right? The, it's, it's as complicated or not as you want to make it. You and it can, eats up as much of your life as you want to let it. Yeah, there are techniques that let you uh, sort of speed paint your way through miniatures what are in those? a very efficient way. 
Uh, it has to do with things like picking an army that likes uniforms. Uh, my army in Dead Zone are the rebels, and they're all wearing civilian clothes in funny mismatched colors because that's the kind of thing I like to paint because I love I love fiddly details. Individual little soldiers. Right, exactly. Their, their, their but David's playing... Uh, enforcers. The Enforcers. Yes. They're, they're space fascists in matching power armor. Spit and polish. Yeah, exactly. And that the, the thing is, I think it, you... you but actually, to, to, and to draw on another example, actually, back when I was playing uh, Warhammer 40,000, I used to play Tyranids, who were this random alien race. But the idea is they came in a hive that all were born from the same giant space monster. And therefore, they came out with the same markings. And I think that's what I've always gone for, because I'm far less of an accomplished painter than Scott is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I could do was production line. And so it's all my aliens were bone with black... Uh, sort of armor plating and then I would varnish that all my enforcers are going to be I'm thinking at this point black and white with some red fixings or something but when you go there it's a much quicker process I've heard of something called the dip method oh the dip it's so (laughs) sneaky it's it's great you use it 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 started out with people using a a furniture varnish a tinted furniture varnish and there are now miniature paint companies making dip that as far as I can tell, is them just branding and repackaging furniture <laughs> polish or varnish or something. But it's uh, it's a translucent uh, layer that sticks in the the sort of nooks and crannies of a miniature. You paint all the base colors mm-hmm. on your on your little guy, dunk them in uh, dark brown goo, and now it's all kind of instantly shaded. Um, when you see right, games, so it looks like an Xbox generation video game character. Yeah, um, and you can use different dips for different effects. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can get away with all sorts of nonsense. It's a great way to get an army that looks really good on the table yeah. very, very quickly. So what are some resources for learning about this stuff or somebody wants to get into it? Where do you start? Depends how far down the rabbit hole you want to go, really. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there, and that's, mm-hmm. they can be a nice way. Uh, even hobby shops uh, that offer painting classes are a thing. Uh, it depends how... You, you can go into the whole converting system if you want to really spice things up uh, mm-hmm. which is something i used to do i had a guy in necromunda who took 17 heavy stubber hits in one game and survived and so <laughs> i immediately started playing with him and i worked on that miniature for almost a month doing converting work but then you can nowadays it's just like i glue them together and put them on a table the uh the other resources that the two that that uh that i would say in addition one is the uh, mini painting subreddit Great right. space to, to hang oh, out in. I don't use Reddit, so that, I didn't know that. Yeah, every time I paint something, I'll take a, a decent picture of it on my phone and post it to the mini-painting Reddit, and uh, I just strangers show up and tell me I'm great. Or <laughs> offer suggestions for what I could, you know, how I could improve my technique or whatever, but it's it motivates me to paint the next thing. Uh, the other resource is find a Scott. Find a person like me who loves painting miniatures. What we love is company. Right, doing it alone is is a drag, but doing it with friends is great. So if I can get somebody over who wants to learn how to paint miniatures, I'm motivated to stay on task by them being there. They're going to learn stuff by being around me. I've got all the paints they need. That's okay. And so really, make it a social activity. Find yeah. somebody who likes painting. Failing that, uh, find somebody who wants to get into it just as much as you do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It is. I, I definitely. I mean, recently the most. I was gluing rather than painting because Dead Zone miniatures come in lots of pieces and you have to put them together, uh, which is a thing that a lot of board game board games with miniatures miniatures don't. Mm. They come assembled. Uh, and the most I've done recently was when I went round to Scott's house and we sat there for four hours just doing stuff. And yeah. you get so much more done. 
So, dumb question time. Uh, we don't have miniatures uh, games at Snakes and Lattes because... Oh. Bang. Because <laughs> Things the, explode. the barrier to, uh, to entry rules-wise is often substantial. Yeah. The rule books are books. I mean, they like, really are. Even Dead Zone, a relatively slim rule set, is still something like 80 pages. Yeah. And uh, including a lot of art and filler and stuff. But uh, the barrier to entry is massive. The ability to sit down and teach it is very finite. It's... It's not a game, it's a hobby. So your first play of it is just a weird investment of your time towards learning it. And it's it, in that sense, it's got a lot in common with the LCGs or Magic the Gathering in that it, you, you, where do you stop, especially if you're stocking it for a public environment. But it has the added problem, and that's what I mean by bang, of component thing is a thing. Because whatever it is about those components, they are going to be fragile because they're going to be assembled in some way, shape, or form. And how do you put them into... An environment where, I mean, we have components missing from games all the time. Occasionally something gets damaged because of, you know, some sort of accident that happens. And if that happens to uh, something that somebody has spent a long time painting, putting together and making their pride and joy, and then all of a sudden it's on the floor in six different pieces, uh, you've also got an entire, and that comes into the hobby side of things, you've got a, a part of your social time commitment has been destroyed. Mm-hmm. It's it's a fancy sort of it's a fancy end of the board game hobby. It's it's no one's entry point, I think. No. And that'll wrap it up for this week. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on the show, tweet it to us at SnakesCast or post it on the Snakes and Lattes Facebook page. Scott, David, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks. SnakesCast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Set. Opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it and not the company behind it. Thank you for listening. Game on.